So it's uh, Vipassana Bhumi, the domain of insight, is the, we contemplate the five aggregate, Kanda, and so form, Rupa, internal, external, feeling, pleasure, pain, neutrality, perceptions, perceptions based upon sight, sound, touch, taste, fragrance, and uh, thoughts, mental objects, and then sankara, the various activities and reflexes and reactions and impulses, controlled, uncontrolled, involuntary, voluntary, that run around when things touch us, when we get, when perceptions move the mind, feelings, perceptions move the mind, is triggering. Or just the, uh, the um, life force in the body, Ayu Sankara, is a kind of activation, which is keeping the breath, the circulation of the body, the metabolism going. It's a continual dynamic. So it's activities, it's too weak a word, but trying to put it all in one word is rather difficult. Bodily, breathing in and out, life force, all the sense or the pulses and the energies in the body. Sankara, also the impulses that are triggered in the mind, in the heart, and then Sankara, also the, the um, what's called the Vajji Sankara, the ways we fashion concepts. And then consciousness, <coughs> which is also <coughs> bringing things to us. So bringing things in through the eye and ears, nose, tongue, it's, it's an active thing, it's not a state, it's an activity, being conscious. So this is all, So all this is actually active, you know, consciousness is not some kind of uh, entity, it's an activity. You continue darting backwards and forwards. And it's always, uh, for an ordinary person anyway, triggering off perceptions of feelings. You don't have consciousness without some perception or feeling. So that's, that's one of its activities, is to generate, is to trigger, bringing something in, then perception and feeling. That we see something, then there's this kind of, oh, that's that recognition oh what's that and then oh I want that that's, that's the that's the, another activity the jitta sankara the emotional activity of wanting it you know or not wanting it so all this stuff is ac- activities sankaras reflexes programs and this is said to be in the sutta these uh, sankaras Abhisankara, everything else. They they um, they kind of they're not just activities in their own right, such as uh, impulses and and uh, these more directed energies. But they're also um, an activity, a program that binds everything to, to that sets everything else up. So we're, when we're born, that's the Ayu Sankara, it sets everything up towards forming a person, 
towards forming an entity, towards activating a body, and keeping the consciousness in it. <laughs> you know, stuff that, and it basically it, it generates a sense of solidity. So it, it binds it binds the aggregates together. So the perceptions uh, and the feelings are said to happen to me, and the body is ha- is mine, and the thoughts are me, and the consciousness is me seeing something, me hearing something. There's a solidity, an un, a constant entity, that is a pure fabrication. I mean, it's 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 uh, pretty infallible. Well, unless you go psychotic, but uh, it is it's it's a construction, you know, and and so you know the sense of being something, because we can't ever find what that is. It's always shifting and changing. And it's a fairly, even though its character changes, it's mm-hmm. rather like the weather. You can't say there's no weather today. It's either but it's cold or it's wet or it's sunny or it's bright or it's foggy. But it's never a state of no weather. <laughs> so similarly, this self, it's bright, it's foggy, it's cold, it's rainy, but you can't really... It always seems to be there, doesn't it? In some form or another, sublime or coarse, stupid or brilliant. So we can't really pin it down as any particular character, characteristic. Yeah. But it has recognizable modes. It's a reference point to this uh, uh, sankara, vijnana, consciousness, and and activation. And the basic thing that it does is it generates this sense of solid self. Now we could, you know, we can say certainly there's this continual reference point, which we could call mind or citta. You know, there's certainly some sense in which as long as this life pertains and as long as we remain in the relatively sane, there's a sense of there's only one me. You know, if you go, if you lose it, you know, go mad, then there may be two or three different me's. So it's not entirely an absolute we can lose it. We often have divided me's, you know, different personae. Yeah. Yeah. which can be obviously for people who are mentally unbalanced can be almost uh, unknown to, you know they're completely divided most of us they merge you see this kind of changes of me not completely differentiated but it is it is this uh, reference point to chitta to mind and for, you know we call that the me sense is, is chitta that which is the subjective and of course, there's no particular character apart from being subjective. Moody, bright, dark, brilliant, aggressive, calm, subject, you know, it's like that. So that's the basic program. Everything else is the details around that. This basic program, you don't want to, you know, destroy it because that would be madness but you like to understand what it really is 
So it doesn't become more than a reference point. What it tends to happen is it becomes much more than just a subjective center. It becomes an independent being who expects things to go its way. And actually, it's just it's just it's just the, the the location where these elements come together, where thoughts and perceptions come together, and they're cha- turned into impulses. There's a effect. We're affected. There's an affected. Chitta is moved, and then it responds. And that meeting point of effect and response. That's me. You know, it touches, then it responds. That's the me bit. That turnover, and that's fine. What happens is that that bit tends to become independent or want to become independent. Say, I don't want to be affected by that and I'm not going to respond to this. Or or, I want to be affected by that. I want to have a pleasant effect, not an unpleasant one. I want things to go the way I like them. I want to be able to respond in the way I want. So it starts to have its own agendas. So if it's just completely... Clear is just seeing, touching, you know, and then a response that's appropriate. This is the Arahant, the enlightened one. It's clean that. It's just seeing, touching, tasting, and then a response isn't based upon getting hold of, defending, um, speculating, feeling, you know, all these uh, further formations. You know, which make up so much of what we call our apparent self is all this schemas, programs, patterns of uh, acquisition and, and rejection and denial and uh, and then even more complex identity issues. What am I? Am I this? Am I good enough? What they call conceit, which doesn't mean pride. It means conceiving oneself to be better, worse, the same of, useless, brilliant, misunderstood, victim, hero, whatever, you know, it can be. The banal to the tragic, romantic, poetic, whatever it is, then that, you know. And often this, this heightened programming becomes it's our identity, our persona, or our dominant persona, starts to actually want to push the game around. So rather than just being the obedient receiver, responder, it's got its own missions. And sometimes these missions are come out of uh, um, ignorance or not seeing or lack of clarity. Yeah. And over time, it, those become... Certain patterns get established. These patterns could be inadequacy, impatience. Um, you know, it can be ranged from just momentary the irritation to to more complex patterns which become recognizably me. When you meditate, when you just sit quietly, or you're just sitting quietly, contemplating or letting the mind as it moves through thoughts, you see certain patterns start to line up. 
It's almost like they're magnetic. They pull everything into shape. They're planning to do something. The creator, the warrior, the inadequate, the victim. You know, um, the misunderstood. What you know? These patterns start, and they've generally got some some history in them. It's not as if they just came out of nowhere. You know, they've got history. There are events that that start to establish those programs for us. Often in relationships with people, start to establish these particular programs. How we're seen, how we're allowed to act, how we act tends to become how we are. So what we do, how we do, and how we are done to becomes how we are because we get programmed into that. The programs that we run, the programs that we're asked to run, the patterns that people see in us and keep holding us in become, naturally enough, established as me because we are patterns. The recognizable identity is all these various patterns. Nothing else but that. And you, you can re- you can recognize them because you you know they're familiar, you know. And some of them are skillful, the aspiring, the noble, the kindly, the virtuous. Some are reflected. The grumpy, the misunderstood, the rejected. So they're patterns, and they represent, you know, you've got what they are the results of karma, actions. Actions that we've done, or actions that we've been trained to do, or allowed to do, or urged to do, and things that have been done to us. Now, things that have been done to us don't necessarily seem like karma, but the 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 fact when they begin to establish how we act, then they become the uh, um, the shaper of our karma. So action includes how you think. So, you know, if people have continually said you are an idiot and you believe it, then you start to act like it. <laughs> you know, you think that, that you, get, you kind of get brainwashed by it. Well, this is a crude example, really. So it's very, you can't work all this out, but you can notice the familiar, the familiar me's when you begin to just kind of contemplate the movement of mind, those places it goes through, the patterns. So you start to contemplate not just the bodily senses, but also these verbal strings. Verbal strings. So as you know, the mind is always muttering, muttering, murmuring, whispering, bawling. And then you can get caught in the topics. But just contemplate, you know, the ones that, the the movement of them, the, the textures of them, the ones that are really got some pretty zippy footwork that rush right in and become you immediately. Got a lot of charge in them. The dithering, the impatient the got to do it, the can't do it, you know, 
And so you contemplate how these strings of thought start to form like iron filings, tracing these magnetic patterns of your, of your karma. Here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. Expectation. Yeah, here we go again. You know. So you learn a bit when you do, say, a retreat, because you know, spend a lot of time just uh, you know, witnessing karmic inclinations. They're not bad. They're not. Some are pretty horrible, but some are just idiosyncrasies. You witness them because it's in this you begin to to really get a sense of uh, the obvious sankara, the verbal patterning, which is an indication of emotional patterning, the emotional charge in things, the push, the rush. So, you know, one of the whole you know, strategies of, of Dhamma practice is to check the rush. Not to, not, not to, you know, stop it all, but just to check it. So we're lessening pressures, lessening competition, the, the attractions and aversion mechanisms between people just, whoa, you know, Put that one down, release that. Spaciousness, tolerance, restraint, you know, checking the speech habits, kind of turn it down, turn it down, turn it down. You know, so it's not just this verbal of energetic discharge. Because a lot of speech is just discharging energy, and babbling. Um, Not what's said; it's just almost like a throwing some energy out, and, uh, and we can. So when you restrain and check speech, just those impulses. What? And then when you do speak, make it something you're conscious of before you speak, when you speak. What was that? How did that feel? Wow! What was that one about? So, you know, complete silence is not recommended. Actually, it's mostly one of the things the Buddha forbade, complete silence, as a resolution. It's first because we need to sense how we are. We need to kind of put our energy out there and find it checked or agreed with or, mm-hmm, what's that about? But you contemplate, contemplate. Before, during, and after. Is this worthwhile? Is it skillful? What's it saying? What's it coming from? Hmm? This is not just an ethical thing, it's an, it's an wisdom thing. You want to understand. Because those strings of words, those strings that are telling you, are indicating quite significant aspects of sankhara. The way I run, the way my stories run. Listen to the not just the literal word, words, but the the mood tone behind it. <laughs> 
often how we present it to others, which can have certain qualities of, I hope this is going to work or agreeable, how we say it to ourselves, perhaps less shaped, much more rough and ragged. Okay, but we're not censoring. You want to avoid censorship internally anyway. Perhaps externally it's good to have a bit of <laughs> a few, few checks and balances, but internally just not censoring, slowing it, listening. Yeah. So the domain of, of calm is the, you know, you can get that steady, non-censoring calmness, which both moderates these impulses. We tend to become much more sober and measured. But then what does come through, what's that one? Notice one's feelings of mistrust or or, um, being unworthy or what we think other people think about us. Because this is an aspect of what's holding this sense of self together. You might say this sense of self is really patterns and programs, but there's also the pattern and program that binds it all into one unit. You know, one apparent entity is this sense of self. And we kind of want to contemplate how do we generate through uh, this has that happen the familiar familiar programs that bind you know so we're never a surprise to ourselves we're always a sense of sounds like me doing my thing why why is it like that of course it's supposed to be like that you know for a you know we're not trying to even stop it, but just contemplate it. So you can see this is just the program. And then really what is helpful. So you start to weed out the maladaptive ones, the ones that are self-destructive. This is no, no point in that, really. Yeah. The ones that are subjugations, crushing. The ones that are, you know, Desperately acquisitive, got to get more, got to have more, got to be something. So, wait a minute. Where's this going? Suffering, stress. It's through meeting these sankharas that, uh, you know, either on a bodily level, so these energies and movements we've been touching into in the body, emotional, verbal. It's in meeting them that it's not so much about changing them so much as that which meets them becomes purer. Becomes less reactive. Hmm? That's the point, the first point anyway, is from that sense of just stepping back, widening, slowing, slowing, widening, softening. Here, here he is. 
doing his thing. Okay? Rather than, oh, why doesn't he ever do it like that? And is this good enough? And you need to do more. He never would do it like that. You've done it wrong. You know, all those kind of commentaries <laughs> going on. It's just so. What's around that sense of self becomes more like direct. We call it direct awareness. It doesn't add conceit, conceiving. It doesn't proliferate. It's just as a sort of like one lives, places it inside a large, warm silence. This is the important, well, an important feature, is it's through meeting these, not through fiddling with them, fixing them, commenting on them, preening them, tweaking them, bashing them, but through meeting them that this quality of, of direct awareness. So the awareness of that is becoming purer and purer, more equanimous, more spacious. In that process of that happening, also what tends to be happening at the, because of the meeting is that the frustrations and the, and the tangles of the self start to unravel because there isn't this continual pressure of being poked, pushed, urged, you know, leap through another hoop, shut up, be this way, that way. So without that pressure, relational pressure of grasping, trying to make a perfect self, what you imagine that would be, there's a lot more space, and some of these crinkles and tangles in our personality start to unravel. You get a feeling of, oh, you don't have to be that again. Oh. You don't have to wind yourself up again. Oh, you know, it starts to ease out. Could call it self acceptance. But it doesn't mean I'm going to be I'm going to be this way forever. It's not trying to affirm a self. It's just getting spacious around it. And the meeting point is one of acceptance, not stay this way forever. But just it's like this now. And widening, softening, and then oh, it's changed, or it's not like it doesn't matter anymore. Oh. So that self-acceptance allows this personal self to unravel, to soften, to, to straighten out. What's called Sakaya Ditti, personality view, is when we take that personal self to be ourself. You know, to, to either that we're conti- just continually lost in its stories absolutely identified with all its stories, lamenting, polishing ourselves, bashing ourselves, denting ourselves, ironing ourselves out because we're so in our story, we just want to get the right story. You know? And we're hoping that one day we'll write the right story with a conclusive ending. This is the, you know, and the, truth is there isn't one there isn't a right story no one's written it yet there isn't one it's all just babble (laughs) highfalutin babble (laughs) 
profound babble, <laughs> gentle babble, but it's all just stuff that has no final it, no final ending. It's always going to be like that. Not bad by any means. That was quite amusing, wonderful, inspiring, but it's all just... So, you know, it, it, it's that... So then you see, you're not expecting it to be... You're not trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. But then it doesn't mean you can do and say what you like, but it's like, because this is very much the internal. So, okay, we're being with this, we're generating an awareness around this. It's important is don't keep fiddling with it. But then what you can present to others, you've got to be some ethical concerns there because you're going to be affecting other people. So you can't say, oh, personally, it doesn't matter. It may not matter to me. My personally, it may not matter to me, but it's going to matter to somebody else if I'm snappy and rude to them. <laughs> so it's just my personality speaking. No, that's, 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 not, that's not fair. That's not right. So that awareness is also awareness of of domain here, you know, the internal domain, the external domain, time and place. This isn't just a, a kind of a way of tidying up your personality, but it's very profound. This is called the uh, getting an angle on stream entry, this personality view. So, so not that we don't have a personality, not that we shouldn't have a personality, but we should contemplate as we can learn something very profound, not just in terms of personality, but in terms of that which witnesses that direct awareness becoming less opinionated, less freaked out, less pressurized. And generally what you know is we that begins we contemplate that it's either things that you gaps, bits bits you're missing on. Bits that are just a, a were. When our training, body, speech, and mind. And this is not just meditation retreat. This is a dhamma retreat, yeah. which is a bit bigger because it means uh, how you move your body around. It means how you clean your room. It means. You know, how you dress, how you talk to people, how you see people, how you check yourself. It means the whole thing. It's, it's the, full, the full holistic practice. And what comes up? Because the programs are running all the time. They don't just say, well, they only happen when you meditate. Once you're out of the meditation hall, that's it. No more, no more witnessing needs to go on. We're not meditating now, we're working, we're doing something, so it's all, you know, back to that until the next sitting. No, that's not Dhamma practice. It means 
you know, what, often what happens, you know, is outside it, because that's when you get the sense of, she's so bossy. Oh, really? Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Or, I never get to do what I want, or I need more of this, entitlement, or I'm left out, abandonment, or I'm in charge, or she's pushing me around, or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, stuff, programs start running, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, what's happening there? There's always something valid in that. Something's being triggered. Hmm. Perceptions. Why community life is so important, we manage it wisely. Because we all have different karma, we all have different triggerings. Things trigger us. And we have different karmic patterns. One one person's nice and calm and steady is another person's control freak. You know, somebody's just someone just being mindful. Another person, this guy's really the total control freak. You know, <laughs> somebody saying, "I oh, just." So one person it seems just to be a calm, obvious thing to do. Another person, it's it's rigid control. Somebody else, this is flowing and responsive. To another person, this is crazy and and, and you know unordered with different different ways of doing things you see the judgments come up boom you know he is she is they are I'm not you know admiration aversion conflict patterns creating karma so why we have try to just have a form which is good enough. It's enough, it's good enough. But it's not perfect. Because there isn't one. There isn't a perfect story internally or externally. There's no perfect place for practice. There's good enough places for practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see that sankara operating really I want it really really quiet still steady peaceful warm comfortable just the right food just the right it's done right timing not too long yeah just right and I'll get the right results Yeah, all we know is that it's never quite right. But this is when that subjectivity starts to take over situation. Generally, I notice in, in my experiences that either one comes to a monastery first week, first day, wow, wow amazing place, well, it's interesting. Second day, oh, it's you know, a bit uncertain what's going on, how does this operate? After a week, yeah, I think I've got it. After a month, this is what's wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> Why it shouldn't be like this. <laughs> I always get this with visiting, visiting monks. 
kind of this kind of oh this is they don't talk about all the things that are wrong with it really wrong with it you know and it's not like this in the suttas and it's not like this in the vinaya and it's not like this in Thailand or Burma or somewhere or the other or Amarawati is not like this or the teacher isn't like that it's wrong it's wrong yeah. it's kind of right. <laughs> and you say well actually did, did they feed you oh yeah place to stay yeah anybody beat you up no Drinking? No, no. Girlfriends? No, no girlfriends. Then it's, it's, that's right, it's a good place then. <laughs> it's good enough to practice with. Yeah. So you've got burden standards. The rest of it, you just watch what it does. Too noisy, too busy, too quiet. People are control freaks here. Totally up in their heads, control freaks. I haven't got a clue about the suitors, idiots, rambling, loudmouthed idiots, workaholics, or lazy. <laughs> so look at that, you know, suddenly it all becomes. And it's so, I see people just go into this. <laughs> Generally, like a few years, after five years, you've kind of worked, you've forgiven it all, and you realize, oh God, I've been a really arrogant pig. <laughs> Can you imagine going to, like the Buddha said, root of a tree? Can you imagine going to the root of a tree and saying, I don't like this root? (laughs) Buddha said you should live under a tree. Go to the tree and say, well, I don't like the bark here. don't like the root. Those leaves don't really suit me. Why are these insects on this tree? Shouldn't be birds here, they make too much noise. It's absurd, isn't it? That's our standard, root of a tree. So, uh, you know, shelter, arms, food. It's a good thing to to keep contemplating so we can work with the rest of it if we want to. So this is this domain. We contemplate how things are moving us and how we're responding and how that effect response mechanism starts to become autonomous and have its own agendas feeling inadequate on one one's extreme demanding on another on the other extreme feeling you're better than on one extreme feeling you're worse than feeling you're the same as this is how it goes you see these are just the patterns So, or some of them, bind us into, the main thing we want to know is, is how come you're so solid? How come you've got so rock-like? How come you've got so solid? That's the question we want to really ask ourselves. Who's making me so solid? As we pass on our insight is the understanding of the radical impermanence and insubstantiality. And you can only do that when there's enough awareness to keep things steady. Radical impermanence and substantiality without awareness is called psychosis. 
So we, where do we generate awareness? Through breathing in and out, through walking, through sitting, by being aware, being conscious, being mindful, and then making it fit, exactly fit, this particular package in meeting the sankharas as, they, as it happens, meeting the formative tendencies as it happens, and it becomes very pure and fits really snug. Why sitting meditation doesn't by itself do it, because it, it's not snug, it's, it's not bad. It's a good off-the-peg job, but you know, trying to teach people a technique is like trying to ram everybody into the same suit of clothes saying, your legs are too short. <laughs> Pull this one's legs a bit longer. Chop this one's head off. You're not fat enough. Find up a bit, because don't, you don't fit the suit. <laughs> well, how, how does it fit? You take the basic materials, basic design, your legs, arms, you know, that thing. You sit inside, you start, how is it going to fit? So you really meet the energy patterns, the drowsiness, dullness, the compulsiveness, the jaggedness, cultivating bodily deportment. So there's a sense of steady, ongoing awareness of how we walk, move, open doors around people, cultivating speech, cultivating thought, cultivating heart. Then it starts to snug, fit. widening from those patterns, those compulsions, driven senses, sense of widening, bodily, softening, emotionally or attitudinally becoming more pliable, more spacious, and then being able to include it all. So this is the domain. Domain. 